to thank everyone for your prayers. Uh, as was mentioned, and uh, just had a wonderful time of ministry. I was there at request of the uh, the former president of the Republic of Ghana, who asked me to come and uh, officiate the 30-year wedding anniversary renewal of vows ceremony for him and his wife. Some of you may have seen that online, so that was a, a blessing to, uh, to be a part of that. And also, uh, some of you remember Steve Wangham. Uh, he is a local pastor there that we support. He's also the executive coordinator uh, for West Africa for global leadership training. Um, he has been elected as general superintendent of the Ghana Assemblies of God. So we're excited for him and excited for the Assemblies of God. We know that the Lord is going to use him in a, in, a, in a powerful way. So continue to pray for him. All right, take your Bibles, go to the book of Daniel. We're continuing on in our series here. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 5. And uh, today we're going to talk about the handwriting on the wall. The handwriting on the wall. Daniel chapter 5, we're starting in verse 1. Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God which had been in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron and wood and stone. And then in verse 5 it says, In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his hips were loosened, and his knees knocked against each other. <laughs> I don't know, I just always get a funny image in my mind whenever I read that. If you were here um, last week, you'll recall that Pastor Dylan preached a powerful word from chapter 4, and uh, I was blessed to be able to watch it online. And um, you'll note that chapter 4 ended with the last reference to Nebuchadnezzar, who is the king of Babylon who actually died in 562 B.C., and um, he was about 72 years old. He, he served as king for about 44 years, and uh, it seems as though at the end of his life, he finally surrendered to God, who had pursued him for about 30 years. God humbled him, as Pastor Dylan showed us last week, and um, I don't know, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. Wouldn't that be awesome? History now tells us that after Nebuchadnezzar's death, there was a, an intense power struggle for control of the throne. And eventually the throne was taken by one of his sons-in-law, whose name was Nabonidus. And he became king. But Nabonidus wasn't really interested in being king of Babylon. 
History tells us that he actually spent most of his time in Arabia um, in another part of the world. Actually, he, he, he preferred the sun and the sand and the surf. So he checked out of Babylon and went to a resort. And so what he did, in his absence, he appointed his son, Belshazzar, as co-regent. So Nabonidus checked out of Babylon, took on the easy life, and appointed his son, Belshazzar, to run the kingdom. Now, Belshazzar is actually the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. When we read that Nebuchadnezzar was his father, the word, the Hebrew word for father there actually means ancestor. And it's a word that could be used for a father, a grandfather, even a great-grandfather. Belshazzar reigns from 555 BC to 539 BC when Babylon falls to the Medes and the Persians. And you can remember that chronology that was uh, depicted in that, in that dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, that after Babylon, the head of gold would come the, the shoulder and chest, the arms of silver, which was the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. And this is what happens in chapter 5. So we see in chapter 5 that Belshazzar's reign comes to an end, and the Medes, the Persians, they enter in to Babylon and they take over. So we know that this happens in the year 539 BC. Now it's also interesting to note that while this party is going on that we read about here, Belshazzar and his lords and all the, the, the wealthy and the powerful gathered there, that the army of the Medes and the Persians have actually surrounded the city, and Babylon is under siege at this point. And in just a few hours from this event here, they will actually enter the city. They will take the city without any resistance, and Darius the Mede will become the leader of Babylon. So that's the historical context. As for the story, we read that Belshazzar is throwing this lavish, drunken party for a thousand of his, of his nobles, the rich and the powerful of Babylon. And during this drunken party, Belshazzar does something really dumb. He brings the golden vessels that were taken from the temple of God out of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar 70 years ago into this decadent, pagan party so that his drunken guests can drink out of them and use them to praise their pagan gods. It is a blatant act of desecration. It is a defiance of the God of Israel. These golden and silver goblets were articles of worship, but now Belshazzar is using them to mock and to insult the Most High God. But while they are in the act of lifting these gold and silver vessels full of wine to their mouths, something incredible happens. The fingers of a man's hand, the Bible says, appear and begin to write on the wall. Now, we know from reading this that this was God sending a message. But Belshazzar, he didn't know this. He had no idea what was going on. To him, all of a sudden, it was just like, like, you know, like Thing from the Adams family just appeared with a Sharpie and just started to write things on the wall in this mysterious language, right? Now, that would get your attention, wouldn't it? 
It would get mine, and it got his. It got Belshazzar's attention. It says in verse 6 that his countenance changed, and he was overcome with anxiety. His knees started knocking together. And then in verse 7, it says he called for his astrologers and his soothsayers, asking them to explain what is going on here and what this handwriting on the wall is. But they didn't have a clue. I don't know what good these people were. I mean, they had absolutely no clue. They couldn't help Nebuchadnezzar. Now they can't help Belshazzar. None of his guests, none of his lords, none of his scholars, none of them knew anything. Then in verse 10, the queen comes into the room. Everybody say the queen. Now this is probably uh, the queen mother, not necessarily Belshazzar's or one of his wives, because it says his wives, his concubines were all there in the feast. So it's more likely that this is the queen mother, uh, very likely his grandmother could even have been the wife or prominent wife of Nebuchadnezzar. And she says in verse 10, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. Verse 12, inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. So it seems like this queen or queen mother is very familiar with Daniel. Because she was around when everything was happening and how God used Daniel to speak his word to Nebuchadnezzar. So Belshazzar says, great, bring him here. So Daniel gets there. And in verse 16, the king says to Daniel, I've heard of you, that you can give interpretations and explain enigmas. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Third, because there is Nabonidus, his father, Belshazzar himself, and then it would be Daniel. Now, let's understand something about Daniel. Daniel is now about 80, 82 years old. It's 70 years since Daniel and his friends were taken captive out of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar. It's about 25 years since the end of chapter 4, and he is an old man now. But don't let that fool you. Amen? Let me say that again. He's an old man, but don't let that fool you. He might be walking a little slower. He maybe has some aches in his body. His eyesight might be a little dim, maybe not as tall as he used to be or as strong as he used to be, but spiritually, he is still on fire for God. Hallelujah. Psalm 92 says the righteous shall flourish and still bear fruit in their old age. Psalm 103 says he renews your youth like the eagles. Hallelujah. So if we got any old people here, 
So I'm 58 years old. So if we got any old people like 60, <laughs> hallelujah, you can still bear fruit in your old age. Yeah? He will renew your youth like the eagle. Hallelujah. So Daniel has been faithful all these years. He's never compromised. He's been true to God. God's favor has been on him these many decades, and God has used him to influence pagan kings. And now he's about to speak into the life of this king, Belshazzar. And I love what happens here, what Daniel says. So, so King Belshazzar offers him, you know, wealth. He says, if you can interpret this, I'll give you wealth. I'll give you a crown. I'll give you gold around your neck. I'll give you purple. I'll dress you up. And then Daniel says in verse 17, he says to the king, he says, let your gifts be for yourself. He says, you can keep your gifts. You can give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpreter. Can you imagine this 82-year-old guy? Hallelujah. You may, you, you, I, I, having a gold chain around his neck didn't really excite him. Being dressed in He didn't care about the fashion for the day and the new styles, right? He's just saying, King, you can have all your gifts. I'm not interested in them. I'm not interested in them. I'm beyond that. Hallelujah. But I will still tell you the interpretation. Amen? Daniel had no one to impress he had nothing to prove to anybody. Daniel didn't walk into that room hoping that he could somehow curry favor with the king, get some promotion, you know, from the king, get elevated in some way. He wasn't hoping that he would get, you know, that he would he was offended because he was excluded from the party and now maybe he would get allowed in to be allowed into you know this special social class Daniel had no interest in that whatsoever and you know what the fact that he had nothing to prove and no one to impress liberated him that that is a freeing place to be when you can live your life having nothing to prove and no one to impress amen it liberated him. It made him bold. It gave him confidence. It made him assured in who he was in his God. Amen. And the queen said, this is a man with an excellent spirit. Now, if you want to be known as someone with an excellent spirit, there's a couple of things here we see in Daniel that produce that. The first is freedom from the opinions of men. Freedom from the opinions of men, to not walk in the fear of man. Now, that doesn't mean you get to be arrogant or disrespectful or that you shouldn't you know, demonstrate your abilities or bring value to your team, okay? No, what it does mean is this, that I don't need you to like me for me to feel good about me. Can I say that again? I don't need you to like me for me to feel good about me. My value doesn't come from your approval or your affirmation. My value comes from the one who died for me and who told me who I am because of what he paid for my life. Amen. That I am an adopted son or daughter of the Most High God. 
that he is the one who, who is for me and he is not against me. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. You can shut me out. You can exclude me from your group. I don't really care because there's one who opens doors for me that no man can shut, who surrounds me with favor like a shield, whose mercy and truth will follow me all the days of my life. I am not who you say I am. I am who he says I am. And he calls me son. He calls me daughter. He calls me his child. My sins are forgiven. My shame is removed. My curses are broken. And every devil is defeated in my life. I may not be perfect. I may fall, but I will rise. I may mess up, but I will get back up. I belong to him. I am justified and sanctified and redeemed by his blood. Amen? Romans 8 says, who shall separate me from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No, I am more than a conqueror through him who loved me. I know who I am in Christ and I don't need your approval to make me feel good about myself. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus my Lord. I know who I am in Christ, and I don't need you to like me for me to feel good about me. Amen. That's liberating. Isn't that liberating? That gives you confidence. That gives you assurance. That gives you boldness. And you know a second thing that gives you an excellent spirit? When his, his spirit, when the Holy Spirit is working in you and through you. The queen said this, verse 11, there is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. Hallelujah. Listen, if you have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, God wants to fill you with His Spirit. Now, you might say, what is that? I don't know what that means. It's what happened in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 19, when God baptized His people with the Holy Spirit to overflowing that they manifested the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Hallelujah. And this is something that God has for every believer in Christ. Now, I'm not going to get into a teaching about that, but I will direct your attention to our account on YouTube. If you want to learn more about this, go to Mission Church videos on YouTube and do a search for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Basically, it means this. When you were saved... When you were born again, God put his spirit in you. His presence came into your being and resurrected your dead spirit and connected himself to your dead spirit. And now because of his spirit, which lives in you, you now have a relationship with God. You can hear him. You can sense him. You can be led by him. But the baptism in the Holy Spirit is distinct from and subsequent to the experience of the new birth. This is when God pours more of His Spirit into your being so that 
Just as Jesus said, out of your belly, out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. And God wants to fill you to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. So check that out. Check that out on Mission Church videos and you can learn more about that. But basically, what happens with the baptism in the Holy Spirit comes the gifts of the Spirit, which are talked about in 1 Corinthians 12. And listen, we are living in a day where we have our own Chaldeans and astrologers and soothsayers who do not have the answers that this world needs. What this world needs is the people of God who have a presence about them, a power within them, an anointing upon them that comes from the living God who is still speaking today and who is still writing on the walls of men's hearts and calling them unto himself. And we are that Daniel generation in this day and age who can carry that excellent spirit that comes from his Holy Spirit that can speak truth and life and hope into this lost and dying world who are confused and deceived and deluded and they can't fully read the handwriting of God's print on their heart and they need the revelation that comes from the people of God who have the Spirit of God who can say, thus saith the Lord and show them the Word of God and how God has a life and a future and a hope for them. We are the Daniel generation. We have that excellent spirit. Hallelujah. But listen, if you've not been baptized with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, then you just need to get before the Lord and say, Lord, I want everything you have for me, God. Lord, I don't want to miss out on anything that you have for me. You go through the book of Acts. You read it for yourself. And this is what I said to the Lord. I said, Lord, I see it here. I see it here. I see it here. I see it here. I see it here, Lord. And if you did it then, you can do it here because you are the God who does not change. You are Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if they were able to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If they can lay hands on the sick and they would recover, then I want to lay hands on the sick and recover. Amen. There's a third thing that gave Daniel an excellent spirit. And it was his willingness to speak truth to whatever person or power was listening. Daniel never failed to be faithful with the word of God. Which brings us back to Belshazzar and the handwriting on the wall. So Daniel says to him in verse 18, O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up, and his spirit was hardened in pride. He was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. That was last week in chapter 4. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew... Hallelujah. Till he knew that the most high God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he, until Nebuchadnezzar realized that there is a living God who is sovereign over the realm of man. But, he says, verse 22, you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all of this. 
And you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you. And you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which you do not see or hear or know. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. I want us to notice that there are three indictments that Daniel makes against Belshazzar. One is about idolatry. One is about blasphemy. But one is especially relevant to us today. It's the first indictment in verse 22. You have not humbled your heart, although you knew all of this. He's basically saying you have sinned against the knowledge you knew. You knew about this God in heaven who holds your breath in his hand. You're not ignorant. You can't claim, well, I'm just an ignorant pagan. You knew how God humbled Nebuchadnezzar, how he lost it all, and he lived like a wild beast. You knew that God demanded to be exalted in his life and in his kingdom, and how God demands to be worshipped by you. You knew that. You learned all this. You were raised in it. You were taught it. And against that knowledge, you have sinned. You failed to heed, and you failed to humble yourself before your God. Now let me say this to those who come to church week after week or tune in to our online broadcast week after week, who sit under the preaching of the word week after week, how you know there is a God in heaven, but you resist surrendering your life to him. It's not enough to just hear and to know things about God, you must submit your life to him and receive Christ as sovereign king and Lord of your life. This is what Daniel was saying to Belshazzar, and this is the word of God for us today. To the young people, the sons and the daughters among us, whose parents are training you up in the way that you should go, teaching you the faith, showing you how to live the life, bringing you to church. And yet, like Belshazzar, who was raised in it and experienced it, understand this, it is not enough to just have your parents who love Jesus that take you to church. It's not enough. You can't just, you can't just float into heaven on their shirt tails. You must make Jesus the Lord of your life. Because you're not ignorant. You know that he is God. You know what he has done. You know his truth. You know his word. And you know how he loves you. And how Jesus went to the cross for you. And how your sins were put in his body on that cross. And how Jesus took every punishment that you deserved. And how Jesus died the death that you should have died. And how Jesus was planted in that tomb. But on the third day conquered death, hell, and the grave. Why? For you and for me. Because he loves you. You know this. You You've heard this. You've been raised. Don't be like Belshazzar who loved his pagan feasts and his pagan friends 
more than the God who holds your breath in his very hands. And then comes the translation and the end of the story for Belshazzar, verse 25. And this is the inscription that was written, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Upharsin. This is the interpretation of each word. Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, which is the root word of Epharsin. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. The translation, the word from God to Belshazzar is basically this. Your days have been numbered and you're out of time. Time's up, Belshazzar. There are no more tomorrows for you. Your life has been weighed and found wanting because you have fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible says that all have sinned and all of us have fallen short. All of our lives have been weighed in the balances and found wanting because we're all sinners. And your kingdom is being taken from you and given to your enemies. And then in verse 29, it says, Belshazzar gave the command and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain of gold around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Here's what I believe is the main point of the handwriting on the wall. Accountability. It's not a word that we would like to talk about, but it's a reality. Accountability. That Belshazzar had been given so much. He had been trained. He had been taught. He had learned who the God of heaven is. But yet he loved his pagan feasts and his pagan friends more than the God who held his breath in his hands. And the word came that said, you will be held accountable for the choices, for the decisions, for the way that you chose to live your life. And it is the same for every one of us. Read the handwriting on the wall this morning. Mene, Mene, Tekel, Ufarsin. The day is coming when time will be up. The day is coming when our lives will be weighed in the balances. The day is coming when we will stand before God and give an account of our lives. This is why Romans chapter 14, verse 11. It is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself or herself to God. But aren't you thankful for Jesus Christ? Aren't you thankful that when we stand before the Lord, we can plead the blood of Jesus? What does that mean, plead the blood of Jesus? Do you ever see a courtroom scene where the judge says to the, to the, ad, the attorney, says, how do you plead? <laughs> he says, we plead not guilty. That's what it means to plead the blood. I plead not guilty because of the blood 
of Jesus. Amen? We will all, each one of us, have our day in court. It's coming. It's coming. Amen? And that's bad news for us because we're all sinners. And we deserve to be sent to an eternal hell by a holy God. But thank God that He's a loving God too. Amen? And He didn't want to send us to hell, so He sent Jesus to the cross. And Jesus took our punishment for us, and now we don't have to be punished. If, if we've accepted the gift of of forgiveness and eternal life that Jesus offers to us. So let me close with that question. Have you received the gift of forgiveness that Jesus offers to you? I'm not asking you if your parents have. I'm not asking you if you've been raised in church. I'm not asking you if you know Scripture and you know some doctrines and you know some things about God. I'm I'm asking you, have you made the King of heaven, King of your heart, and submitted your life to Him. Let's stand together and let's bow our heads together. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank You, Lord, for this lesson from the handwriting on the wall that applies to each one of us. Hallelujah. That we can be a Daniel in this generation with an excellent spirit, pointing people to the God who holds our breath in His hand. Lord, make me that Daniel with an excellent spirit. Amen, church? Hallelujah. But Lord, I'm concerned today for those who, maybe like Belshazzar, have come to church week after week, watched it on the broadcast week after week, maybe even raised in a Christian home, but have not truly submitted their life to Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray, God, that your your presence, your power, your spirit would impress upon us the urgency of this moment. We don't know for certain if tomorrow is guaranteed. We only have today, this moment, right now. And I pray, Lord God, that if there's anyone here who doesn't have Jesus, that you'd reveal yourself to them and they would receive Christ into their life right now. Right now. So if you're here today, You've never received Christ into your life. I want to lead you in a prayer where you can do just that, right there where you're standing, where you can repeat this prayer and express your faith and receive Christ into your life. Just say this prayer with me. In fact, let's all say this prayer together. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I admit that I'm a sinner, but I believe Jesus Christ, God the Son, died on the cross for me. And I believe that on the third day, He rose from the dead and offers me eternal life. So God, I receive that gift. Forgive my sins. Cleanse my soul. And give me eternal life. I make Jesus my Lord. I make Jesus my King. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Now lift a hand to the Lord and just say thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness, for your mercy, for your love, for your grace. Come on. Let's take a moment. Let's take a moment. Let's do what Belshazzar refused to do. Let's worship our king right now. Come on, lift up that other hand in an upward expression of surrender. And let's just worship him. Come on, take a moment. Let's worship the Lord. Let's worship him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You sent the dark. You sent the dark. 
darkness running and out of it empty grave. Now seated alone in glory. We worship you. Thrown on the high. You sent the darkness. You sent the darkness running out of it empty grave. Now seated alone in glory. Hallelujah. You sent the darkness. As we close this service this morning, we want to open the altars because the Lord is here and He wants to touch your life. you believe that? I know there's some people here with some needs, some challenges, some things you're trusting God to do that you need God to step into your life and make a way where there is no way. You need Him to turn some things around. Maybe you need a physical healing. Maybe your children are prodigals and praying for them to be drawn back to the Lord. Maybe you need to turn around in your finances, your career. Listen, right now, this moment, today, here, now, is when you should get prayer. If not now, when, right? Not here, where? So we're going to open the altars as we dismiss. We've got people that are going to come forward to pray for you. And you can make your way to the front as people are leaving and just come up here and get prayed for. Amen? Come on, do we believe in a God who still answers prayer? Yes? So, Father, we thank you for your presence here today. For those that are coming forward for prayer, we pray, God, that your spirit would be revealed in our lives. You would touch those, God, who need a touch. Lord, for those that need to go, we pray your blessing on each one. God, may we remember that you are the God that holds our breath in your hands and you are to be worshipped. So we exalt you as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church.